Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee at 1401 Leeville Pike, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in today on our weekly radio broadcast. As I just mentioned our on-campus address, I mentioned that because I want you to know that you are always welcome to attend one of our on-campus gatherings whenever you have an opportunity to do so. And if you want to get to know our church a bit better before you come and visit, collegehills.org is the best place to go to check out a little bit more about our congregation and some of the things that we have going on. One thing that we have going on in just a couple of weeks on April 4th is going to be our Easter Sunday celebration. And on that day, we have a variety of services and classes and meals for you to join and get to know our church a bit better, but more importantly, to gather with the community to celebrate and to remember the resurrection of Jesus. And so know that you are invited to 1401 Leeville Pike on April 4th, and we would love to have you as a guest. You can find out the latest on our schedule for that morning at collegehills.org, and we would love to have you on that day. We're currently journeying through a series that we're calling Snapshots of Good News, and today we're going to be in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars of water for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the chief steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, but not just to hear it, but to be changed by it. And I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and we would be transformed by it more into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was on a road trip and I was driving back to my home state of Tennessee. 
And the path that I was driving that day is one that I had driven many times before. And what struck me as I was driving was that this route is one that has kind of become second nature. And once a path or a road becomes second nature, you, you don't pay as much attention to the path or the road. It's almost as if you could just keep your eyes closed and you would still know the way. You would still know the path. Now, let it be known that I did keep my eyes open for the whole drive back to my house. But something did happen on this trip that I haven't done in a while, which got me thinking about this entire drive that I was taking. I took a stop at a particular truck stop that I hadn't been to in many, many years. And so I had to get off the road. I had to drive with a new awareness. And I didn't really have to pay much attention until I decided to take this exit off the interstate. And I began to pay a bit more attention because I didn't know that route. I wasn't as familiar with it. It wasn't as second nature to me. I had to, had to pay a bit more attention to the signs on the road. The signs were essential to my safe travel. The signs, once I got off the interstate, were pointing me in a particular direction because that's ultimately how road signs work. The point of the sign is not the sign. The point of the sign is to point beyond itself. And the reason why I talk about signs this morning is because it's a word that is used a lot in the Gospel of John, and it's a word that's used in our text this morning that gives us some insight into what is happening here in this very strange story about Jesus and his mother and this wedding feast. At the very end of our text this morning, in verse 11, a statement is made about this miracle of Jesus in Cana of Galilee, this turning of water into wine. And what John tells us was that this thing that was done by Jesus was the first of his signs. And I mentioned the road trip from a bit earlier because those road signs and thinking about road signs are a helpful entry point in understanding what John is doing when he uses this word and he talks about these signs of Jesus. When you're driving down the road and you look up and you see a Welcome to Tennessee sign, you don't pull over at that very spot and yell to everyone in the car, Everybody get out, we're here. Look up at this big piece of metal. Who knew that Tennessee looked so thin and shiny? No, you keep driving because the sign, while it's important, points beyond itself to something more. And John's doing a similar thing with these signs in his gospel as he describes the ministry of Jesus. These signs, while very important, are pointing beyond themselves. They're pointing beyond themselves to who Jesus really is to the unique relationship he has with God, and as a result, to reveal the type of God that God 
really is. And what's even more interesting about our text this morning is that it being the first of his signs, there's something primary, something initiating about this particular sign that John reports it to us first. First signs, when thinking about road trips, are particularly important. Because if today I were to get out on I-40 in Nashville and start heading east, and yet I told you I was trying to get to Texas, then you and I would both know that it would take me a while. Because that very first sign, I-40 West, is the one that I need to pay attention to. The first sign sets things in motion. It sets the standard for how things are going to develop. It sets a particular trajectory for the trip. And the particular trajectory that John points us to is on this particular direction of a certain kind of God. That the point of these signs is to point us to who God is in Jesus. And the God that John directs us to today is this God of abundant and generous grace. Because in our text this morning, Jesus and his disciples are invited to this wedding where it happens in Cana of Galilee, which would have been a normal thing because often the whole town was invited to the wedding. And so Jesus of Galilee would most likely have been invited to this wedding And because the whole town likely was at this wedding, they naturally ran out of wine, which is a really significant problem for this wedding celebration. Wedding celebrations in that time were not confined to just a few hours as they often are in our world today. Our world of mothers and brides and grooms and photographers and wedding parties often are scrambling around in such stress and confusion because they have a very limited amount of time. And those venues are charging them for every moment that they're there. But in the time of Jesus, wedding celebrations took days. It was a party. It was a joyous event. They didn't need a little wine. They needed a lot of wine to celebrate. And so when Jesus' mother looks at her son and says they have no wine, she's not just making some passing observation. She's pointing out a significant need for this wedding party. It's as if you're at a celebration and there's music playing and then all of a sudden it just stops. And there's almost that screeching sound over the loudspeakers. Everything comes to a halt. That is what this would have felt like in the time of Jesus. Because to run out of wine was to bring the party to an end. And that would have brought shame on the bride and groom from the whole community. The party would have been over. The celebration would have been cut short. And so when Jesus' mother says they have no wine, she's pointing out, a significant need, and she wants Jesus to do something about it. And while Jesus is initially resistant, he nevertheless acts in response to this need. He takes six empty stone water jars 
used for purification rites. And he has several of the servants of the party fill them to the brim with water. So this is roughly 120 to 180 gallons total of water. And then Jesus has one of those servants take a cup of the liquid to the master of the banquet. And when the master tasted the water that had become wine, he is in shock because the wine was not just wine. It was good wine. Good wine was always served first, but at this party, it served last. And the good news in the immediate sense is that the party will now be able to continue. The celebration can go on. I mean, there are now 120 to 180 gallons of wine waiting. And because there is this abundance of generosity, the party can continue. The celebration can go on. The joy is going to be extended. And if we were to read this text just on the surface, then it would be very possible for us to read this as just another miracle of Jesus. But again, John tells us that this is a sign. So, What is happening in this text, we know as readers, is that it is pointing beyond itself to who Jesus is, to who God is. And the glimpse we're given in this inaugural act of Jesus is a picture of a God who is abundant and generous and gracious and provides more than enough. A God who does not let the party end, but who provides so that the celebration can continue. A God who provides wine for this party, who will provide loaves and fish to feed 5,000 in just a few chapters. This God who is abounding in generosity and grace. And while this is a beautiful picture of God to read about here in this second chapter of John, this kind of God may be a bit more difficult to accept than we first thought or that we want to admit. Because we shouldn't be careful, we should be careful not to lose the shock and extravagance of this first miracle. Because on a social level, Jesus produces a lot of wine. It registers to weigh over 100 gallons. This means the party will continue, not for a few hours, but for a few more days. The celebration is just beginning. The signs are just beginning. There will be more abundance of food and grace, more generosity of drink and living water in some of the most unexpected places and to some of the most unexpected people. Even here, Jesus does not take a careful tally of who deserves and who does not. He's allowed this celebration to continue while not determining who gets to celebrate and who doesn't. Instead, He simply produces over a hundred gallons of wine so that everyone can continue in this moment of joy. That's on the social level. But on a religious level, this is a significant moment because it's significant that the wine is produced in stone jars used for Jewish purification. By working a miracle in these jars... Jesus is making a statement. 
that something new is rising up in the midst of the religious movement of Judaism, which is going to overflow into people and places that the Jewish people might not have been comfortable with. This is why John tells us that not all of Jesus' own accepted him. Because a God who produces an abundance of wine and grace and generosity can sometimes be difficult for us to accept. It can be difficult for us to swallow, even for the religious. Just take the master of the banquet as an example in this story. What's interesting is when the servants bring him the wine, that the wine that was turned from water to wine, what does he do? He praises the bridegroom, not Jesus for this abundance. This master of the banquet continues functioning through his usual modes of operation. He is either refusing or is unable to see where the sign is pointing. A God who produces an abundance of grace and generosity can be difficult to swallow, can be difficult to see. And doesn't the same thing happen today? How easy and tempting is it for us sometimes to build our entire religion and faith on everything that we do, counting the number of days we do and don't read our Bibles, maybe scolding ourselves internally for accidentally forgetting to pray or not praying long enough, trying to cram in one more act of service to to meet this imaginary quota we've created in our heads that will make us righteous. Yet instead of making us righteous, those of us who have followed Jesus for a while can often find ourselves as some of the most tired, guilty, worn-out people that anyone would ever meet. Even when we sometimes have heard about this grace and mercy stuff our whole lives, sometimes we, even though there is an abundance of grace and generosity around us like the master of the banquet, we can sometimes struggle to see where those signs are pointing, to whom they are pointing, this abundant God that we see in Jesus. But what is beautiful about this story, the reminder that we get here at the beginning of John's gospel with this first sign of many more signs is that such a God of abundant and generous grace will continue to be so even in those moments where we don't see the God of generosity and grace. That's why the disciples of Jesus provide a good model for the kind of reaction we should have to this kind of God. Because in contrast to the master of this wedding, what did the disciples do? The disciples believed in Jesus. Now, these disciples had only been following Jesus for a couple of days when all of a sudden they end up going to a wedding with him. And then... Before their very eyes, they see this gracious and generous act. 180 gallons of water becoming 180 gallons of wine. 
I mean, can you imagine being one of these disciples, just following this rabbi for a couple of days, not knowing much about him, still getting to know him, and then... Within the first week, you show up to a wedding and they run out of wine and this new rabbi that you've started following all of a sudden turns water into wine. Can you imagine how you must respond? Can you imagine how you might have responded? What we see these disciples not do is they don't try to make sense of how Jesus did the miracle. They don't try to figure out why Jesus carried out such a generous, abundant act of grace or what the implications might be. Instead, the text simply tells us they believed in Him and they continued to follow. How surprising is that of a reaction from the disciples? Because if it were me in their situation, I would have done then what I do now trying to make sense of how did Jesus exactly turn this water to wine. I would do then what I am often tempted to do now with this story. I'm trying to figure out why Jesus would have done such a generous, abundant thing. My last response, unfortunately, is not to just believe in Him as these disciples did. And that's the simplicity and the beauty of their response. They believed in Him and they continued to follow. God's generosity of grace was the beginning of their belief and the beginning of their journey as disciples. And this is how God works. Still today, God's generosity of grace is the beginning of our belief, the beginning of our journey. God's abundant grace is the beginning of transformation and new possibilities. God's abundance of grace is the beginning of celebration and joy. God's grace, like this water turning to wine, can overflow into a new beginning in the most unlikely of places. An empty stone heart that has nowhere else to go or a religiously pure heart that thinks it can save itself when it never can. No matter who we are in the story, no matter if we are the master who doesn't see Jesus, he still experiences the abundance of Jesus even if we're the disciples who move deeper into belief with Jesus, they too get to experience the abundance of this moment. We don't have to make sense of how God can be such a gracious God. How does God do what God does? And we don't have to figure out why God chooses to be so gracious and generous, or what the implications of such an abundant, generous grace might be. Instead, we're to see the sign in John's gospel today and simply believe in Him and continue to follow, knowing we are sustained not by our efforts or how much we do, but by His grace 
and His mercy. That kind of grace, that kind of grace is to be our beginning point as God's people. I think this is especially hard to do. I think it is hard to simply sink into these deep and beautiful waters of grace, trusting that God will hold us up. It reminds me of many years ago when I was learning how to swim. And when you are learning to float, it's definitely a learning process. But the particular teacher I had would give me some advice and some reminders on a regular basis that when I was going to flow, that instead of moving and shaking and trying to paddle, that there was only the need for me to trust that the water was going to hold me up. That it didn't matter how many times my swim teacher reminded me and reminded me and taught me and taught me. At some point, I had to simply trust that it was going to hold me. And so it is often with grace of God that we can read these passages like John 2 with this abundance of God's grace. We can have preachers and teachers remind us of the generous grace of God. We can be given sign after sign after sign of God's grace and abundance in our life. But yet at some point, at some point, we have to trust. At some point, we have to trust that God's grace will hold us and sustain us and help us through all seasons. And that's a reminder that we need, especially today. In this season where we've had a really long year, And yet, we're still here today. We're still alive today. We're still breathing today. There are still new possibilities today that God continues to provide. And so that, in some ways, is a timely reminder for us to trust the God who sustained us through this last season with grace and mercy, is the same God who will sustain us into the future with grace and mercy. So we have this sign. We have this story. We have this moment in Cana of Galilee. And we may not understand why. We may not understand how. We may not understand the implications And that's okay. It's okay for us to simply believe in Him and continue to follow. So this week, let's simply trust in the grace of God and continue to follow Him faithfully, knowing knowing that He will provide not just enough, but more than enough. And that, that is a snapshot of good news for all of us. Amen.